This morning's scripture comes from Psalm chapter 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder, ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Annalisha. Good morning, everyone. My name is Eric. I am one of the pastors here at Trinity. Is anybody missing their lost hour of sleep this morning? I'm sorry about that. I'm missing mine for sure. Um, one of our top four goals for 2019 as a church community is that we would go deeper in prayer. The best resource for this Probably in the world, I would argue, but also in the Bible is the book of Psalms. If you read the Psalms, if you try to pray the Psalms, they don't really let you remain in the shallow end when it comes to prayer. They take you deep, deep into your own soul. They take you into uncomfortable places. They, they take you into parts of your heart and of your soul that you probably didn't even know were there, into prayers you never thought you needed to pray. And the Psalms take all of this in the person who is praying the Psalms or the community that is praying the Psalms, take all of these prayers and lead us into deeper trust, into deeper awe and closeness with God. So our series for the season of Lent will be in the Psalms, and we've called it, as you see on your bulletin or on the screens, we're calling it the anatomy of the soul. It's a phrase we've borrowed from John Calvin. 
because the Psalms cover every conceivable human emotion, every spiritual season, every circumstance. And so we're using this idea and this concept of an anatomy of the soul, just like our, our human anatomy can be divided up into studying the different systems in the human body. You have the digestive system, the circulatory system, the respiratory system. Our spiritual or soul anatomy could also be thought of as being composed of different systems. We talked about this last week. We looked at what I called the confession system in the soul that everybody has to have a way to deal with failure. Everybody has to have a way to deal with the sense that I've, I've done wrong, I have guilt, and we all do something with that. That's our confession system. Today, we're going to look at a different system. We're going to look at the stress system in, this, in the human soul. The stress system is what kicks in anytime trouble comes into our lives. Anytime trouble comes to us or inside us, we have a stress system. That's the way that we handle those troubles. And trouble comes to everyone. In the book, The Road, by author Cormac McCarthy, there's this quote. If trouble comes when you least expect it, then maybe the thing to do is always expect it. I don't know if that resonates with you. If you agree with that, I would add to that, then maybe the thing to do is not just expect it, but also learn how to become adept at responding to it. Taking a look at our own stress systems and asking, how do we handle, how do I handle trouble when it comes? Psalm 77 is a prayer for when trouble comes. And we're going to look at three Three movements in this psalm, really. First, when trouble comes. Secondly, when prayer brings more trouble. We're going to talk about that. And then thirdly, how prayer brings us through trouble. If you like alliteration, and some of you know I love alliteration. I can't help it. It's just how my mind thinks. It helps me have mental hooks for things. We have the occasion for this prayer. We have a great obstacle in this prayer, and then we have the outcome of this prayer. So let's start with the occasion, and that is when trouble comes. When trouble comes, what do we do? Psalm 77 is a prayer for our times of trouble and stress in life. Look at verse 2. It tells us the occasion for this prayer. The psalm says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. This prayer then comes out of a day of trouble. Day doesn't just mean one particular day. It means a time or a season of trouble. Trouble here can refer to both the outward cause of the trouble and the inward experience of trouble. It can refer to both. It can refer to either one. Sometimes this Hebrew word trouble is translated adversity, which has more of an external outward definition, and sometimes it's translated distress, the inward emotional response, the inward experience of difficult emotions. Either way, the time of trouble is also to be the time for prayer. 
Did you know that in the Psalms, and sometimes this can be maybe confusing or frustrating, you're reading the Psalms, some of them have little notes. Um, if you look in your, in your Bibles, you'll see a little note, a historical note. But most of the Psalms don't tell us what the specific situation or trouble or stress was. They leave it general. They leave it unsaid. This is intentional because the Psalms are written to be used and prayed for people going through any kind of trouble, all kinds of trouble. We don't have to get hung up on whether our trouble was easier than what the psalmist was experiencing or harder. We don't have to think about comparing our troubles to the troubles that this psalmist was praying about. All we need to know, he was facing trouble, and that's our doorway into prayer. Now, most of us, I would say, I know this is true for me and a lot of you, we struggle to cry aloud in our troubles like the psalmist does here. Instead, I think for most of us, we tend to keep it all inside. The past few weeks, I've been connecting with a lot of you and there's, there's a theme that I've been hearing. And the theme is, you are under a lot of stress, many of you, a lot of you. A lot of you, for right now, this season in your life is a day of trouble. It's the stress of work, the stress of family, the stress of relationship. It's things that are external to you, but it's also the stuff that's going on inside of you. And so when I was thinking about which psalm I should pray, pray through this week, which psalm I should teach through in this sermon, I felt like this is it. This is the one we need to hear. And so I'm thinking of those of you whom have these, whom, with whom I've had these conversations with as I'm thinking about this message and as I prepared this message. When I do um, premarital counseling, there's an assessment I use, and a part of the assessment is it takes you through this, this stress test, answer a bunch of questions, and then out comes a rating on a scale of 0 to 100 and how stressed each of, um, each of the people who are looking ahead to marriage are. And so I do this uh, stress assessment, and I've seen many people come back with a score of 90 plus on a scale of 0 to 100. And surprisingly, when the bride-to-be or the groom-to-be sees that rating, they kind of breathe a sigh of relief. I'm a 93. I'm a 94. And it's just out there on paper, so they don't have to deny it any, anymore. There's something objective to look at. And they can, they can say, yeah, that is how stressed I'm feeling. And there's a sense of comfort in being able to admit that uh, to their spouse-to-be, knowing that they'll be heard, knowing that that's the reality that they're facing. And so as, as we move into this psalm, and I, I would guess um, maybe the number for some of you is I've been talking with you, but I would say, why don't you just take a moment right now. It's hard to rate ourselves, but what's your rating? Zero to 100. What's going on in your stress system? 
how much would you say you are facing the day of trouble? And I'm going to do something that I, I don't really do, and it might be a little weird, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I want you to say it out loud. So we're, on the count of three, we're going to just say our stress number out loud, even if you think it's weird. Ready? One, two, three, seventy. See, no one even hurts, so that's okay. It's, it's somewhat anonymous. But God heard that number. Right here is the first application for us. When trouble comes, and it will for all of us, we are encouraged to bring this trouble aloud to God, and it says in verse 1, He will hear us. Now, many of you might be thinking, okay, that is somewhat basic. Even very secular people tend to try prayer when trouble comes, especially the kind of trouble that it seems like the psalmist is facing here. It's some intense stress. It's overwhelming him, and almost everybody can agree with this. Maybe I should try prayer. There's the saying, there's no, there's no atheists in foxholes. When it gets really, really bad, we'll say, we'll give prayer a try. Let's go ahead and do it. But before we too quickly dismiss this as basic, let me just press us a little bit here. When trouble comes, whether it's external to us or internal stress, when it rises, let me ask you, what is your instinct? What is your go-to? What do you do first? Being a person who lives in Orange County in Southern California and talking with many of you and how you face stress, I think we tend to move into two different directions. Either we just say, I'm going to resist this. I don't have time to be stressed. I don't have time to reflect on this, to think about this. I'm going to push through. I'm going to grit my teeth, and I'm going to fight through it. I'm going to resist this stress. Or we tend to say, I'm going to relieve this stress. I need to find a way to relieve it. I have an app on my phone. It's called Retail Therapy. In Southern California, we love that app because it's a way that we relieve stress. We find a great sale, we go shopping, we consume. We have entertainment, we have distraction, we turn to pleasure. We deserve some relief, right? Because stress is hard. Trouble is hard. And our relief can range from unhealthy patterns all the way into destructive addictions. But if we resist stress, it'll eventually be too much. If we simply try to relieve stress, it'll eventually lead to more soul sickness. Psalm 77, 2 says, in the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. We need to develop this kind of instinct of going to God in prayer with our stress. In order to do this, though, we need to learn a whole new kind of prayer. The kind of prayer that for us in Southern California, in middle-class, suburban, American Christianity, we've pretty much lost the art of this kind of prayer. This prayer is something that we must recover because when we neglect it, we neglect it to the disease of our stress system. I'm talking about lament. I'm talking about praying prayers of lament. Psalm 77 is one of many psalms of lament. 
Scholars take the Psalms, they divide it into different categories. By far, the category that has the most Psalms prayed in the book of Psalms is lament, by most scholars' count. Lament is not saying, God, I'm in trouble. Get me out of it. That's okay. Some of the Psalms are like that. We need those kinds of prayers. Sometimes it's all we can pray. But Psalm 77 and many others show us lament is something different than that, more than that. It's actually praying our troubles to God. We describe the trouble we're facing. We describe the feelings we're having. We go into detail. We tell God all about it. Look at verse 2 again. The psalmist says, In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comfort. When I remember God, I moan. My eyelids won't close. I can't sleep. This is all prayer. This is all lament. When trouble comes, we need to learn to speak it aloud to God. He wants to hear it, and he does. That's the occasion for prayer. But there are many, many reasons why we struggle with lament. One of the reasons is what happened here in verses 2 through 9 in the Psalms. So trouble came. said, okay, I got your point one. I'm going to pray in my time of trouble and stress. And so when he prayed in his trouble, he lamented aloud to God, just like he was taught. What happened? Look at verses 2 through 9. What happened in this prayer? He became more troubled, right? Sometimes prayer brings more trouble. When you're stressed and in trouble, who wants that? More trouble. Let's talk about this. Verse 2, here's the description of it. I stretched out my hands. My soul refused to be comforted. When I think about God, I'm thinking about you, but I'm moaning and I'm groaning. My spirit grows faint. He said, I prayed a lot. I prayed out loud, but I grew weary. I ran out of words. All I could do then was groan. I don't know if you've been there. Verses 4 through 6. He says, when I prayed, I, I couldn't even sleep. You wouldn't let me, God. You wouldn't let me sleep. He starts blaming God for his troubled soul. He says, this made me so troubled, I couldn't even speak. I was thinking back to past experience in verse 6. He said, let me remember this. What's worked in the past? In the past, I was able to sing and worship and regain perspective. He says, I'm trying to get to a place of perspective, God, of worship. But instead, what's happening, questions rise up. Doubts are rising up in his heart. And then in verses 7 through 9, look at these lists of questions. Will he spurn forever? That's how it feels. Will God never again be favorable? Has his covenant love ceased? Have his promises ended for all time? Has God forgotten his grace? Has God run out of compassion? God's steadfast love his promises, his grace, his compassion. This is the heart and the essence of God. These attributes of God, this character description of God comes from Exodus chapter 34. When Moses said, God, here's my prayer. I want you to show me your glory. Show me who you really are. God says to Moses, you can't see my, the fullness of my glory, but I'm going to pass by you. I'm going to hide you in this rock and proclaim to you who I am. I am the Lord, the Lord, a God of mercy and grace, slow to anger, 
abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So here, trouble came, stress rose up in his heart, Asaph, the psalmist, and where did it lead him? It led him straight into the heart and the essence of who God is, and he was wondering, what I'm experiencing isn't matching up with who you say you are, God, and I'm bringing my questions to you. It seemed like this prayer brought more trouble. I want to say two things about this when this happens. First, Psalm 77 says, don't be caught off guard when this happens. Sometimes we, we say, maybe you've been taught this, either implicitly or explicitly, when trouble comes, when you're stressed out, just pray. Pray the right way, use the right words with enough faith, pray hard enough, and God will deliver to you immediate comfort and peace. This can and does happen, but sometimes it does not happen. Sometimes prayer brings you more trouble and stress because it appears like God isn't listening, that he's not responding. And we get caught off guard and we don't know what to do. And the psalmist begins to panic here a little bit. God, you're not fixing my circumstances. You're not fixing my emotional distress. There is an assumption we make in these moments. And that is, if God was listening, if God was really hearing this, he would end my trouble. He would end the stress. But consider this, what if before he deals with our trouble, God needs to deal with us? What if he wants to teach us in our trouble? Jesus, who was the perfect human being, a whole human in every way, he had to pray prayers like Psalm 77. I'm going to put it up here on the screen, but Hebrews 5 tells us about Jesus praying a psalm like this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. There are some things we can only learn through lament. There are some things we can only learn by praying loud cries and tears. It says this is how Jesus learned worship and reverence. This is how Jesus learned to be human is to obey God not vice versa, for God to obey us on our timetable and our wishes. With all our technology, with all our science, with all the information available to us now in our modern world, we struggle with this because we believe there should be immediate answer, immediate fix. And isn't that what prayer is for? In our home, we just introduced... Uh, the Google Home Mini. We, we got this Google Home Mini and we set it up in our family room and it's just like Alexa or some of these other personal assistants where you just say, hey, hey Google, 
Play me some music. Hey, Google, it's too hot in here. Hey, Google, set me an alarm. You can do all these things. Hey, Google, what was the score of the game today? And it's right there. And we've had many wars and battles over music already in our home. Hey, Google, play this. No, hey, Google, play this. And it's created more conflict, but it's kind of nice to have your assistant right there with an immediate answer. Sometimes we get caught off guard because we think that's how prayer should be. Hey, God, trouble, fix it. Hey, God, there's stress. Bring it down. We get caught off guard because prayer is not accessing our personal assistant. Prayer is accessing the God of the universe whom we are called to revere and obey. We learn that in prayer. So don't get caught off guard when this happens. Secondly, don't give up up when this happens. We're going to get there. The psalmist doesn't give up. He presses on through this. But let me share this illustration Uh, If someone said to you this, you're talking with somebody and they said, can I get your advice on something? Um, When I talk to people and I try to develop a friendship, trying to develop a good relationship with people, I'm struggling. It's confusing. It's difficult. I don't get people because sometimes they say stuff I don't like. They do stuff I don't get. And it's really confusing And it's really hard for me to understand and have a friendship with people like that. So you know what? Tell me what you think about this. Anyone like that, if I don't understand them, if they confuse me, if I don't get them, I'm just not going to talk to people like that. I can't have any friends that don't respond to me how I want and in a way that I understand. My relationships are only going to be with people who get me and whom I get. Now, what would you say to this person? I would say, friend, you're going to be very lonely because that's not how relationships work. That's not how friendships are developed. True friendship, a real relationship, is one that has gone through times of confusion and misunderstanding. And on the other side, they're more solid and real. That's that's a relationship. And one of the ways we come to a real and a solid relationship with God is through times like this, like Psalm 77 describes. When we say to God, God, I thought you were like this. I thought your word meant this. I expected you to do this. And in prayer, we learn to meet the real God as he is, not the God we imagine or wish him to be. So don't give up. Because on the other end is real relationship, solid and true. That's the occasion for prayer. This was the great obstacle of prayer. It seemed to bring more trouble, but that's not it. That's not where the psalm ends. Because this prayer brought him through trouble. When it seems like God isn't answering when he doesn't fix our circumstances, when he doesn't immediately bring peace to the stress in our emotions and soul, what then? Are we stuck? No. Sometimes prayer does seem to bring more trouble, but prayer is God's way of bringing us through trouble. This psalm doesn't end in verse 9, and friends, I've been so looking forward to sharing this with all of you this morning. 
there's a dramatic shift in this psalm. There's a dramatic shift in this prayer. It begins in verse 10. All scholars say verse 10 is very hard to translate. Based on everything I read, I think the ESV captures the shift that happens here in verse 10. It starts with the word then. He asked these questions. He asked these questions. He wasn't even sure it was appropriate to ask these questions in prayer. But God heard him and he said, then here's what I'll say. I will appeal to this to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. In other words, he said, I'm going to look outside of myself. I'm going to try with all that I have to look outside of my inner turmoil and trouble. I'm going to look to what God has done to his years of faithfulness. And here's what's happening. This, this prayer is taking this dramatic shift from a meditation inward to a meditation outward. Look at verse 3. We're going to go back over this. He says, I meditated. And it goes on. He says, my spirit fainted. It grew weak. The meditation of verses 2 through 9 is a meditation inward. You see, the first person dominates from verse 1 all the way through verse 9. It's my trouble. It's my hand. It's my eyelids. It's my song that I used to sing. It's my heart. It's my spirit. But in verses 11 and 12, the meditation turns outward. The psalmist there in verse 11 uses all the Hebrew words he could possibly use for the the discipline of meditation. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I'm going to remember this. I will remember your wonders. I'm going to ponder. I'm going to muse on all your work. I'm going to meditate on your mighty deeds. And then look, verse 13. Your way is holy. Verse 14, you are the God. You have made known your might. Verse 15, you with your arm. 16, when the water saw you. When the water saw you. Verse 18, the crash of your thunder, your lightnings. 19, your way, your path, your footprints, your people. Do you see the dramatic shift? From I and me and my to you and your. The psalmist says, I'm going to fix all my mental, spiritual, emotional energy on who you are and what you have done. Last week, um, Pastor E.C. and I, we were at a pastor's and wives retreat led by a professor and researcher. His name's Donald uh, Guthrie, Dr. Donald Guthrie. And one of his specialties is wellness research for those who are in helping professions, pastors, doctors, social workers, teachers, nurses. The consensus across all these fields is there's a lot of stress in these professions. The consensus to the best answer to addressing this stress is the practice of mindfulness. Probably all of us have heard of the idea of mindfulness. What is it? Mindfulness is about being in the present moment, paying attention to what's going on within, your thoughts, your body, your emotions, and your feelings, paying attention to them without judgment. It's about inward meditation. You meditate on your feelings, your emotional state. That's mindfulness. What Psalm 77 is saying 
That is important. That needs to be a part of our stress system. We need to bring that inward meditation out before the presence of God. But it's not enough. Why? Because if all I have is my inward meditation, I become the ultimate reference point to process and handle trouble. I become the ultimate reference point to gain perspective on my stress. The problem with that is my idea of my preferred circumstances is always changing. Sometimes I want this out of life. Sometimes I want this out of life. Sometimes I wish this would happen. Sometimes I want that to happen. My feelings are always changing. So when we say look inward and that's all you got, that's like telling a ship in the middle of a storm and the waves are crashing and the wind is going everywhere to say, focus on the waves. Focus on the wind. How does that make you feel? Be present in the moment. Now, that's much, much better than saying, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to pass. Don't even think about it. Just go, go below deck and everything will be fine. No, that's terrible. That's denial. Get out there. Focus on the waves and the wind. But then drop the anchor into something solid. Get a hold of something fixed. How do we get outside of our circumstances and our emotions? Verses 10 through 20 show us we need an ultimate reference point outside of ourselves. Our troubled soul needs something fixed and solid. And so the psalmist says, what is that? I'm going to look to you, your character, God, who you are and what you have done. There is truth outside of us, outside of our trouble, outside of our feelings of stress, and we need to access and anchor into this truth through prayer. And in verses 11 through 19, he drops the anchor. First, he says, God, you are holy. Verse 13, you are great. You are above and greater and higher than my understandings, my feelings, and my circumstances. Then what does he do? This part may be first confusing to all of you. Verses 16 through 20. If you read it a little bit, you might pick up on this. If you're familiar with the story of the Bible, what is he doing? He's like beaming himself to a previous time. He's transporting himself back to God's greatest act of redemption. God's greatest act of redemption for people in trouble that he knew. The exodus out of Egypt. That's when God led Israel through the Red Sea. He starts to describe it. He says, the water saw you and it trembled. The earth shook. Your thunderous power and lightning came to the rescue. What happened at the Red Sea? At the Red Sea, God led his people into this impossible situation. And there was no human way out. In front, the waters of the Red Sea. Behind them, they saw the armies of Egypt. Pharaoh, the one who had enslaved them and oppressed them. And when they got to that point, they said, why did you lead us here? We had enough trouble when we were slaves in Egypt. And now you brought us even more trouble. Why are we here? At that moment of despair and hopelessness, God comes through. 
powerfully, undeniably, he makes a way through the waters, and they pass. The psalmist is saying, that is who you are, God. That is what you do. Sometimes trouble comes that is beyond me. We can't resist it anymore. Nothing relieves it. Why did you bring me here, God? Why did you bring me here? And God says, so I can ground you. So I can anchor you in something solid and true, myself. Here in this prayer, he's recreating this moment of redemption so he can meditate on it, so he can fix himself on it, his whole mind, his whole soul and heart on these three things about God. They're on the screen. God is more powerful than my troubles and my feelings. God makes a path through my troubles. He shepherds me. And God is present with me in my troubles. Verse 19, even when his footsteps are unseen, even when I can't see him, he's there. Friends, I know some of you desperately need to grab a hold and fix your entire self on these things. For the, for the, the one praying this psalm, Asaph, this was the greatest act of redemption he could possibly imagine that happened in history that was true. But friends, we know of an even greater act of redemption. Something true, something solid, something that happened in history that shows us who God is and what He does that is an anchor for the soul. God's greatest act of redemption in Jesus. At the cross, Jesus met an even more impossible situation. There was no human way out. On the one side was our sin. All our rebellion, all the evil and the brokenness in the world, all the cause of our trouble. And on the other side was the justice and the holiness of God. His passion to rid the world of all trouble and rid the world of all trouble at its source, at its root. And none of us could pass through either way. Only Jesus could. And he did. The only way through was if Jesus took it all. Our sin, our brokenness, the root cause of our trouble, the curse, and bear it through the judgment of God, his justice and his holiness. Through death and judgment into life and resurrection. In Jesus, then, we can say, God would do anything to make a way for us. He did. He has done everything to make a way for us. He will never reject us. His faithful love cannot be stopped. His promises He will always keep. He will never forget His grace. He will never withhold His compassion for everyone who clings to Jesus and follows Him through the path that He's made. So when trouble comes, 
when stress overwhelms you. We need to drop the anchor, remember, ponder, and meditate on the gospel. We need to drop the anchor. Robert Murray McChaney was a pastor in Scotland a couple hundred years ago. I remember reading this quote when I was, I think, 18 years old, and it's stuck with me ever since then. He says this, For every look at self, take ten looks at Christ. Live near to Jesus, and all things will appear little to you in comparison with eternal realities. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace, all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eyes settled on you in love, and rest in his almighty arms. For every one look, for every one look of inward meditation, take ten looks of outward meditation on the fixed reference point, on the truth that shows us who God is and what he has done. No matter what our circumstances are, no matter what our emotional stress level is, that will never change. Final thought. <clears throat> Sometimes our feelings, our thoughts, our stress, they're too much for us to do this alone. That's what Psalm 77 teaches us. Because though it is an individual lament, it is given to the community to pray together in worship. If you can't get outside of yourself to look outside, call upon someone else to help you. Someone who can pray your soul into the anchor. Who can drop the anchor for you and with you. I want to close with this. Kind of a prayer exercise. What I want you to do, and, and you can go ahead and close your eyes can bow, and I want you to join me in this closing prayer. I want you to go ahead, like Psalm 77 shows us, bring to mind your troubles and your stress, your stress number, some of the specific things that are troubling you. For a moment, would you just feel it and allow the emotions to come? And don't censor them. And now with all your heart and mind and soul, focus on what Jesus has done, his suffering and death and his glorious victory in life. There's no clearer picture or place to look, no more solid and sure ground to go to know who God is and what he does. And I want you to rest in this. God is more powerful than your troubles. God makes a path through your troubles. God is present with you in your troubles. Our God, though we are in a moment of silence, I pray you would hear our cries. I pray you would help us 
especially those who are weighed down under stress and facing trouble, to look outside of ourselves, to look away from our troubles and look to you. The one who is more powerful, the one who is present, and the one who in Christ makes a way for us through. We hold on to that. We cling to that. Give us the strength to keep holding on. Encourage us and help us encourage one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.